So we recently watched a Christmas classic. Ooh. We watched Miracle on 34th Street. Wow, I don't even remember what number it is. I think it's 34th, yeah? Uh, I think so. This is, which one is this? This isn't the one with the kid with the glasses. That's another no, one. No, that's, that's like Christmas Story. Christmas Story, okay. Um, so this one, neither of us had seen before, and we've recently been more into or more open to older movies. So <laughs> we decided to give it a try. It was pretty good, but like, this plot point I thought was kind of funny, which is, so the premise is the real Santa's like just hanging out in New York, just like doing his thing. And he gets hired on at Macy's to be their like mall Santa. Is this the very old one or there's also a not as old one? No, this is the very old one. It's in like 47. Okay. Cause there's also like a, is there a remake? 1994 one. Yeah. Oh no, we didn't watch that. It's got, it looks like it has the Matilda girl in it, but it doesn't, it wasn't rated well, 60%. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, okay, this one I will say, pretty good. We both liked it. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot, actually. But the premise was, real Santa gets hired as mall Santa, and what he starts doing is, so he, he works at Macy's, and someone will, like, the kid will ask for something, and he'll turn to the parent and be like, actually, Macy's is out of that, but if you go across the street to Gimbel's, like, they have this, <laughs> or, like someone was asking for ice skates and he's like, well, you want like a really good pair, like something strong that's not going to, you know, hurt you. I'd recommend this place here. <laughs> like, just sends them to other stores. <laughs> and at first everyone's really pissed and is like, I'm going to fucking fire this guy. But yeah. then like all of the parents write these letters to be like, thank you so much. Like that was so helpful. Like, it's so nice to see you all putting profit before or putting people before profit and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so, uh, the CEO's like, okay, we're just going to keep doing it. And like, they make a book of like a shopping guide for their customers and like make it so all their salespeople know everything about where to send people. <laughs> That's so weird. It's really weird. And like the, the competitor starts doing it too. Gimbal's does it. And they like the CEOs meet and shake hands. And then like, basically they're trying to like impress like the Santa character because Santa's like, oh, like he gets paid in front of like the competitor store. And he's like, this is great. I could I could start chipping away at an x-ray machine I want to buy for this this hospital. And the other guy's like, oh, I'll just pay for it. And they like start what? fighting over who gets to pay for this thing. For an x-ray machine for a hospital? Yeah, yeah. It's a really good movie. I enjoyed it. But I just, I love that idea of <laughs> like people just like, there's just no way that would happen, you know, like there's just no way, but they end up doing it because they find out it's good for business. But like, there's, I don't know. I just think that's really funny. Yeah. It's like, it's not really though. I mean, it's, it's good for like just volume, maybe like, you know, moving, you know, selling the shit, I guess, but you're not going to be able to like undercut the other people or like do the real ruthless things to get you even more money. I don't know. It's like not very capitalist. Like it doesn't make. Exactly. Like they tried to sell it. Like they had this woman talking about it and she's like, well, that was just so nice. Like I wasn't a Macy's customers before, but now I'm going to come here for everything. And I'm like, well, except for that one thing they told you. <laughs> not to come here for. Yeah. yeah and then when they so... published the guide, several more things. That... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, I don't know. Like, I guess their thinking is like, well, maybe you'll still buy something else while you're here. And before we tell you the shit we don't have. Yeah, and it's, you know, all it takes is 
one asshole to come in and be like, we've got all the greatest things. Come on, come on, do a little flim flammery. And they're going to get the market share. And it doesn't matter if it's kind of a piece of crap thing. If you bought it for a gift for somebody who you don't even have to see for a while, like, I don't know. <laughs> or, I mean, even the plot point of other stores start doing this. If everyone is doing this, then you are going to lose because everyone will just go to the specific store for what they need. Unless they're lazy like me and I want to make as few stops as possible. Yeah, plus, like, this is not taking into account, uh, I guess I don't remember when you said it was made, but a long time ago. 1947. It is a little pre-super consumerist culture of, like, mm. more disposable culture. Yeah. So, you know, he's like, oh, if you want something that lasts and all this. And eventually someone's going to get on the game of, man, I'm, you know, these guys are chumps. They're getting fewer customers because, because they are selling too good a product. I'm going to sell something they have to buy again, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it was like all fairly posh people shopping at department stores so they can afford those kind of nicer lifetime things, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny all right christmas classic though i really Miracle liked it on 34th though. street four out of five stars five out of five stars not for a communist movie night but just oh god you know, no just um, for a human movie night humans i think uh will enjoy this movie <laughs> <laughs> using my human monitor i would say i'm gonna give it 4.5 the only reason i'm not giving it five is like i don't know if i put it into my i have to watch this every christmas kind of rotation yeah but I really enjoyed it. I think it's fun. There's a fun trial, like courtroom drama part. It's a good time. A couple movies for me on that have to watch them all the time is The mm -hmm. Santa Claus. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Rudolph, like the Rudolph the claymation. claymation one. You know? Yes. Those yeah. I have to do. Mine are Elf and It's a Wonderful Life. Elf is really good. Elf, like Elf. is great. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. I think I've seen it like once. And I, I like, love That's it. Fine. I love it. <laughs> Uh, all right, we need to we need to get into our actual thing. Yeah, what the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> all right, I actually didn't. I don't think I confirmed this story. I didn't remember it, and then I was like, "Well, I think that's what I'm supposed to do." Uh, the Winnipeg general strike. Yes, that was the list. Yes, did you stick good. to the list? I did. Good. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, our listeners be like, "I don't want to learn about X Y Z." Turn off. Yeah, I mean, they could. It's, I guess. It'd be within their rights. But, I suppose, uh, I suppose. I just assumed if you like communist history, you like all of it. Yeah, so that's what we're learning about today. The Winnipeg General Strike of 1919. As the name implies, it was a general strike in Winnipeg that happened in 1919. Whoa, I learned so much already. Yeah, I mean. I'm going to ace the quiz. You probably could have gotten that one off the top of your head, <laughs> you know, but there you go. Uh, for you non-Canadians or geographically challenged Canadians, uh, Winnipeg, where is it? Oh, no. Do you already know. know? I know there's a song in the Weaker Thans called I Hate Winnipeg. <laughs> it's a it's great, a great song. song. We should put a clip in here. That hollow hurried sound Feet on polished floor And in the dollar store Clerk is closing up and counting loonies, trying not to say, I hate Winnipeg. Anyway, do you know where Winnipeg is? No idea. I'm going to guess hmm, it gives me middle vibes of Canada. Middle? Mm hmm. I'm going to guess middle up. Like 
if Canada were a square, it'd be in oh, the no, middle no. of I it. Just, sorry, I just meant like uh, left to right, west to okay. east. Very good uh, call because almost everyone in Canada lives like on the bottom of it, you know, like the southern well, yeah, yeah, strip, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, which, I mean middle hor- horizontally speaking. Uh, you would be correct. It's yes. pretty much in the middle of Canada, right above the border of Minnesota and North Dakota, you'll find Winnipeg. It was giving me big Midwestern vibes, and that's how I got there. Ah, okay, yeah. It is the capital city of the province of Manitoba. So, mm. you know, Americans, that's like their states. <laughs> so that's that's where we're talking about here. Great. I've been watching an Australian show, so I'm learning about the different territories. <laughs> ah. I'm getting oh, slightly better at Australian. Is that Queensland's one. That one's in, I think, the north, if I recall correctly. Australians don't come at me if I'm wrong. I'm only watching the show because it's called Mustard Dogs, and it's about herding dogs, and I have a herding dog, and it's great. <laughs> Does he get into it? He's, like, trying to herd along with the dog on there. No, but it's so cute because every, like, they have these tests, and, like, they have check-ins and checklists of what they're supposed to be able to do, and Kyle's always like, I bet Copper could do these. <laughs> <laughs> like he has not been trained for this but it's really cute nah he probably could though give him a little while you know and he could he's got the instincts yeah uh all right manitoba manitoba winnipeg general strike refresher maybe it's your first time tuning in your friend said oh you gotta listen to the show you're, you're gonna love it they're gonna talk about christmas movies and dogs <laughs> <laughs> and you're like i'm you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> it's been uh, 10 minutes and I've only learned what I could figure out from the title. <laughs> yeah. The refresher, though, if it is your first time, a general strike is where all the workers go out on strike. They shut down the whole city, region, whatever, until their demands are met. Yeah. All the workers from every company, from everybody, just all people. Yeah. Well, as many people as you can get. The people who are cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cool people. Now... We're going to, this is a history thing, so we can kind of go ahead and spoil the ending. In this case, their demands are not met. Oh, no. They end up losing the strike. The strike is crushed, and it's crushed violently. Oh, shit. Okay, not a happy episode, then. Yeah, it's, you know, just let you let you know ahead of time, this is a tragedy. But hopefully we'll learn something from analyzing their experiences as to, like, the possibilities and the challenges of a general strike in our mm-hmm. own world. Okay, let's find out what went wrong. What did they do well? What could they improve on? Well, yeah, let's, so let's talk about it in the kind of historical context, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of important. Yeah, we're talking about Canada when, so Canada is called the Dominion of Canada. It was at the time part of the British Empire. Boo. More directly than it is now. So they're independent now. Although awkwardly, they still have like the king. It's a weird. They're still friends. Yeah. I, yeah. I was reading about it and like King Charles III is technically king of Canada, <laughs> which just sounds stupid. It sounds really stupid. But it's its own independent thing now. And they're just in the Commonwealth because they're, yeah, like you said, they're friends. Okay. I think that whole thing, but we have this American sentiment of like, no, 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 hold on. When you break up, like, you're done. <laughs> Don't call them back. But a lot of the other Commonwealth countries are like, still kind of have a thing, you know? Yeah. It's like when you like aren't religious, but you'll still go to Christmas mass or something. Yeah. 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 That's, that's how I feel about like the whole Commonwealth. <laughs> I think it's strange, but you do you, you know? It's like a secular kind of thing of like, oh yeah. Remember back when? 
Right. It's it's very Catholic in that sort of like, you know, I was raised Catholic sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you just like kind of the trappings, you know, ceremony. Exactly. They're, so their part at the time more directly tied to the British Empire. Boo. The time period is also important here. I'm talking 1919. That means the Russian Revolution of 1917. Oh, that's like pretty close, huh? Very fresh on the minds <laughs> of both the working class as an inspiration and their reactionary opponents in terms of... Uh, Scaring the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that's like, that just happened. And, and the Civil War is still ongoing, you know? Okay, high stakes. Uh, it's also the Winnipeg General Strike is part of the wider historical era or kind of like prolonged event called the Canadian Labor Revolt. Ooh, tell me about that. So this was a huge wave of strikes starting in 1918, stretching out to 1923. It's got a mixed record. Some of these strikes were successful. Some of them were brutally crushed. Uh, The big thing I would take from it, though, is that all of them were terrifying to the capitalist class. They were pretty sure that this was Bolshevism come to Canada. All right, like they were trembling in their boots and you even had leftists such as uh, Antonio Gramsci in, in Italy, communist. He was over there saying, hey, it looks like, I mean, the Can- Canadians might be into like, you know, basically doing the damn thing. And it's they popping might be off. Setting up a Soviet government by direct action. Damn, Canada, path not taken. Right. That would be super cool. <laughs> I would definitely I would move for sure. Illegally immigrate to Canada. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That had started already, and then this was like one of the big strikes of that, of that wider movement. Now, the conditions that led to this particular strike are complex in terms of, there's just a lot of them, but in terms of what you expect to start a strike, it's pretty straightforward. Classic capitalism doing a capitalism. Its immediate trigger, uh, I would say, is World War I. That's a thing to be mad about. (laughs) Yeah, so... (laughs) Uh, to set the stage, Winnipeg had, like any capital city, huge, you know, wealth inequality, long-term structural. Uh, in their case, the capitalists lived on the south side of town. That was like the nice, beautiful part of town. And then the working class was in the north side, kind of the slums, tenements, sort of, you know, rundown side of town. Gotcha. That is going to kind of play a role the whole time. It's this big divide. It's really like stark. Everyone can see it. Uh, And it, when conditions worsen, that's going to be just highlighted on display. So World War One, we say is the trigger. One big thing of that is war profiteering. Canada lost some 67,000 men in World War One, while manufacturers in these wartime industries and stuff, especially were raking in the profits. I'm sure they were. Everyone was kind of willing to go along with that at the time because, hey, it's a war. We all struggle, do our part, and they're helping the boys on the front, so it's okay. But it ends up not being okay. The, the war causes inflation. Uh, this tends to be a, something that wars do. Uh, goods are, so many of them are being sent to the front that they end up more scarce and prices rise because mm. capitalism has the bright idea of if goods are more scarce, only the rich people should be able <laughs> to get them. Yeah. Very fair. So prices rise. Wages don't really keep up with that. 
And to top it off, when the war ends and all that extra spending for all those munitions and all that stuff is cut, well, the factories start shutting down, unemployment rises, you have a recession. Wow. Okay. So not to be that American, but like this was happening in the States too, I imagine. Yes. So the States end up with a similar thing. It's why you end up with the red summer of 1919. That's what I thought. And the red scare and everything is because the unions kick up because of the, of the deteriorating conditions in a lot of cities and stuff, especially. Gotcha. A little side note that also made things worse is the Spanish flu. In 1918, they had an outbreak in Winnipeg. And remember, you have the nice side of town and the slum side of town. Oh, no. Uh, Sanitation was way worse uh, in the working class tenements and everything. So they suffered way more. It was just, I mean, at that point, you're looking at like, hey, it's like they're trying to kill us here. Yeah, yeah, it's got to feel that way. And into this scene of just a decline in living standards are inserted the returning soldiers. So they get back from facing the horrors of war to face the horrors of capitalism. Yeah, right? Like, shit, everything's expensive, no one has a job, and everyone's sick. Yeah. Fuck. sucks. And they're like, why did I go over there and sacrifice all this to come home to this? So that's kind of the World War I element. There's also this increasing sense of radicalism Mm. within labor organizing love that yeah so there was this idea of one big union i love that (laughs) now we've heard this before in kind of the iww sense right the international Mm -hmm. workers of the world saying we want one big union that's kind of what their inspiration here is the you had more radical labor organizers who were kind of frustrated with the old way of doing things the kind of conservative small bore trade unions and they wanted to do more like the IWW more industrial unions everybody in the industry unionizing together having more leverage as a larger section of the working class and eventually they said you know they were kind of getting into this anarcho-syndicalist territory of saying yeah you know we'll federate into one big union all the different you know industrial unions will do that Across all of Canada. Hell, why do we have to have borders across the world? We'll yes. all unionize. I love it. Yeah, these guys were pretty cool. So depending on the sources, the timeline was a little unclear to me as far as uh, that went. But it seems like they didn't officially start the organization called One Big Union till after the strike had begun. But they did have a conference before the strike began where they basically were like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this later. Wait, that was the name? One Big Union? One Big Union, yeah. (laughs) I mean, no points for creativity, but I mean, (laughs) maybe it's got staying power. I mean, it's bold. Yeah, it's what it says on the tin, you know? Very much so. I like it. (laughs) So they had a conference in March called the Western Labor Conference. And they said, yeah, you know, the current little unions we're in, they kind of suck. We should break away and do the One Big Union. Did the current union suck because like they were too cozy with leadership or they just weren't getting enough done? Or do you have any context for that? Uh, it wasn't the cozy with leadership part. Like we'll see they it's mainly the existing unions that are taking the lead in in the strike here. They're plenty radical in terms of once the strike is going, they're like, OK, l- let's fucking do this thing is, though, they're, they're just it's tactics. You have too many people within those unions saying we got to stick to like the trade union stuff and we got to. 
we're really only about getting better conditions for our workers. You know, and to some extent, that's what unions do. It's the more radical faction that the one big union faction is just like, we want more than that. We want like society. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like that's just such an exciting idea of, hey, what's the thing you have in common with almost everybody, <laughs> you know, is yeah. that that you are workers. And like, that's the thing people don't want us to figure out. <laughs> yeah. And it's not to say because we don't want to get into workerism and say like we want it to be all about work like be obsessed no, with work. No, no. Like that's not it at all sometimes people like to kind of parody communists and socialists and say oh you want to like be obsessed with work like that kind of Ugh. sucks and no it's like, if anything yeah, we, i want less work fuck right. that shit yeah but we want it to be to where work is so fair that you get to work less because yeah. you know the assholes who don't work now will have to work <laughs> and you know they're it's just going to reduce the burden. It's it's the classic old adage of many hands make light work. Exactly. And if you get all the people who are just sitting on their asses being CEOs and CFOs and whatever, actually doing something productive for society. Yeah, that's going to be incredible. And you get all the people who are honest workers, but who are, you know, producing bullshit because people make them. Mm hmm. And get them to actually do something that's good for people. There's just, I don't know, all this stuff of like freeing people from drudgery and bullshit. Yeah, yeah. But the the one big union guys, they come up with some platforms and stuff that eventually become their program. Listen to this. This is what they wanted. A six-hour workday, four-day work week. Oh, my God. No loss in pay. Wow, wow. I am, I'm here for it. Now, I mean, th this is further than what we're going to see the Winnipeg guys strike for. This is this is like the the real radical stuff. They wanted all Canadian workers to be organized within the same union. They wanted a dictatorship of the proletariat uh, where the working class would have complete power. Representation would be based on your workplace instead of on like uh, electoral district where you live or something. Interesting. That's a little bit workerist, I guess, but. Yeah, that's true. It's it's that anarcho-syndicalist sort of stripe. Uh, workers' control of industry through labor unions. Nationalization of all enterprises. Wow. Yeah, just, just all... nationalize it all. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they wanted to withdraw Canadian troops in Russia who were fighting you know, on the side of the whites in the Civil yes. War. They expressed solidarity with the Bolshevik Revolution and other communist uprisings, Hell like yeah. the Spartacus League in Germany. Ooh, I don't know about that. Uh, that's another episode's thing. But okay. it was like a, it was I'm a. Write it down. Hold on, we get the doc. <laughs> I gotta somewhat stay on topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, they wanted the release of all political prisoners, uh, the elimination of the free market, and the establishment of a planned economy <laughs> with production for use instead of production for profit. Incredible that you could just ask for that. I mean, hey, it doesn't hurt to ask, does it? <laughs> Well, it doesn't hurt to ask. And then how are you going to get these demands? The last one is advancement of all these demands through general strikes. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's a big fucking list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very impressed. And like, I don't know. Sorry, I'm just like really enamored with this already of, of the idea of let, let's let's set aside maybe like the back half of that list for just like a second, because sure. I'm, I'm into it, obviously. Even if we didn't go full full hog here and said, okay, yeah, workers run literally everything. Even if it was just the concept of 
if you work, you are in the union of workers, that would still radically change everything. You know, like, even if it wasn't like, yeah, your voting district is now your workplace or whatever, like, yeah, <laughs> it would still be like, because necessarily, you'd have workers like you, we see it now, like you see workers like refusing to load boats that like, mm-hmm. are supplying Israel, you know, yeah. Like, Imagine if if people were more empowered in their workplaces in that way to be like, hey, what the fuck are we doing here? Are we ripping people off or like are we actively hurting people? Are we selling their data? Are we, you know, whatever it is, like you would have control of, of you know, the quote unquote market like that would be yours now. Yeah, it's like a, a bigger scale version of the real Santa being like good to the people <laughs> showing up. You know, it'd be like you could do that with your friends and be like, we are all going to make sure our workplace is actually doing good shit and you don't have to worry about getting undercut by other industries. Cause guess what? They're also under the control of their workers. Cause mm-hmm. if any of them do anything you don't like, fuck them, you go on strike A- except everyone goes on strike, you know? Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, unless you have like a company entirely full of assholes who are like, well, we're going to be the best. Like you can't do that. I don't think. <laughs> well, you underestimate the power of the, American South. I mean, I'm sure you could probably field a few <laughs> factories worth of dipshits. I'm very sure you could, actually. But I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I think it definitely has flaws. And I would still like to see a system that more incorporates non-workers. But I don't know. I, I think it could be an interesting concept to get people kind of excited about it or to get people on board and, and, and say, oh, yeah, like that would be cool. Yeah. So we're going to see here that they do definitely... In, in the actual Winnipeg general strike, uh, there's a role and a prominent role for non-workers as well. In any case, these these one big union ideas were kicking around out there, causing debates within the ranks of labor between the radicals and the traditionalists. And as a result of the spread of this idea, more and more workers wanted to do industrial unions. And so they could have, you know, more negotiating power against their employers that sort of thing. And so that kind of sets the stage for the strike itself. So here we're going to start kind of going in a timeline fashion. All right. And we'll start with April, 1919 when building and metal workers uh, are in contract negotiations with their employers. And, you know, so we've seen this in recent times, you know, they, uh, the auto workers had contract negotiations and that led to a strike and, and the actors and same thing, same yes. concept. They're trying, in this case, in Winnipeg, they're trying to get higher wages, better working conditions, and they want to be able to negotiate through these industrial unions, specifically in their case. We weren't to the one big union thing yet. They had what was called the Building Trades Council and the Metal Trades Council. So these are both industrial kind of unions that would represent workers in in the whole industry. In the building trades are like construction kind of, and then the metal trades. Metal workers. So, sorry, what was the original union that was doing this negotiating? Or are these just employees right now and they want to be part of this union? So, these are employees. They have, like, craft unions. Um, mm, okay. Little smaller ones. Like, oh, we're the uh, the bricklayers. We're the cement guys or whatever. Okay, okay. The welders. But they're, those craft unions have joined up in these trades council. And now they want to wanna like, do that. To coordinate, and that, yeah, they're trying to get their employees to negotiate with those guys so they can mm. get a better deal. Okay, cool. All right. The employers want to keep their leverage and they want to negotiate with the smaller unions 
So every time they roll into these negotiations, they just lowball the workers. Uh, and eventually they say, fuck it. We're just, we're not going to recognize your dumb little trades councils at all. Shit. Yeah. So basically that breaks down in the end of April. They, their contract runs out. May 1st, the building trades council goes on strike. Next day, the metal trades council also gets told to eat dirt. So they go on strike as well. Fuck yes. Now, these are two limited sectors of the economy. Kind of a big one, though. Well, yeah, it is. It's it's big, but it's not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. All right. But when that occurs, a group called the Winnipeg Trades and Labor Council, which is this federation of 95 unions across Ooh, Winnipeg. Okay. Represents about 12,000 workers in the city. They have a vote. They say, we are we going to go on strike to support the buildings workers, the metal workers. Keep in mind, they're, they're not striking themselves for a contract for themselves. No, so no, what, this isn't support. Yeah, so what you call this is a sympathy strike, which is illegal in U.S. labor law and several other countries, I think. It's called like the Taft-Hartley Act, is that right? Yeah, that's, that's the U.S. law for that. Now, mm-hmm. is that Taft like the guy who was president? The Taft-Hartley Act, I want to say that's, a, that's Robert Taft or mm. someone like that. He was a real conservative asshole. Sounds like it. But yeah, illegal to do here. Insane that you can tell somebody. (laughs) It boggles my mind. (laughs) Yeah, it was Robert Taft. Okay. Fuck that Uh, guy. He he looks like an asshole too. Yeah, so you pick. Nerds are cool, but he would be like a bad nerd. Like an asshole. Let me see. Oh, he does look like a nerd. I just Googled him. Okay, yeah, yeah. He looks like a little turtle man. The hall monitor that turns you in, you know. Yeah, he looks like a fucking narc. Like, you remember Randall from Recess? (laughs) Yeah. Big Randall vibes here. Oh, he's he's William Harateff's son. Wow, okay. So not not far from him, huh? No. Well, there's a book. (laughs) There's a book about him called Mr. Republican. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, not going to be my guy, I'm pretty sure. Anyway. Back to Canada. They vote for this sympathy strike. They have, the vote is taken with like, it's old school, like Athens style, black and white marbles. You take your marble, you put it in or whatever. So, and then they, they tally it up and. That's interesting. A black marble was no, no strike. A white marble was yes. So that's why we have black ball. Uh, I don't know if that's the origin at all, but maybe. I did learn recently that the reason we have the term bean counters is because they used to vote with beans. Ah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Greek too. In this case, it was also a literacy thing. Mm. Where a lot of the workers in the units and stuff were immigrants. Makes sense. And so this way you could pretty, you know, get the concept across pretty easily. The vote was about 11,000 to 500. Let's go on strike. The results were revealed on May 13th. We're going to go on strike to support our comrades. Yeah, I'm imagining those 500 people feel kind of awkward. Like, maybe they didn't have friends in town yet, and so they didn't know, like, all the context, and they didn't know how their friends were voting, and so there's like, shit, okay, I look like an asshole now. (laughs) And they're, but they're, like, acting like they voted for it. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) They keep, everyone keeps looking like, did you vote no? No, No, it wasn't me. (laughs) Like, they can't find any of those people who voted no. Uh. All right, and so they vote to go on strike the stage is setting now at this point or maybe some time before some pretty hateable villains in this story 
come into being. All right. Who we got? Who are the baddies? We have a group called the Citizens Committee of 1000. Well, at least it's only a thousand. Hey, actually, that's kind of a stretch. All right. Uh, They are this secret cabal of Winnipeg's business and professional elite. Ugh. Okay. And they actively worked to break the impending general strike. Ugh. From their perspective, they saw this as Bolshevik Revolution Part 2. And so they were going to use their resources, their influence, their political connections to bribe the government into smashing it. Whoa. Okay. And I say it's kind of a stretch. Oh, there's only a thousand of them. Because they were completely anonymous, and we think that they probably didn't have anywhere near a thousand members. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was going to say, because like naming it that really limits your membership. So I guess maybe Sorry, they're going yeah. for like an exclusive thing. Yeah, they're trying to make it sound like, yeah. But we don't think they even had that many. Like, That's so funny. Uh, it's kind of like how the Nazis started their membership cards at like 500 to seem more popular. <laughs> I did not know that. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, peer pressure, guys. I guess it's quite powerful. <laughs> so these guys suck. We know that they formed either on or before May 13th, but they're so secretive that we don't know. You know and they, they kind of could tell, you know, no one's going to like us. We, we sound like the rich assholes club. Because they are. Yeah, so they were secretive. Next, May 15th, this is strike day. The Trades Council said May 15th is when we're going. 7 a.m., the first to walk out to start the general strike are the Hello Girls. Hello? Who are these girls? (laughs) They were uh, Winnipeg's telephone operators. Oh, my gosh, yes. Their nickname were the Hello Girls. (laughs) That's great. And so they walk out. That would fuck a city up. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're trying to you call can't on use phone, the phone. No one's, and back then you have to do operator for everything, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by 11 a.m., some 30,000 workers are out on strike. They was like, oh, damn, the Hello Girls are gone. Let's do this. Hello, yes. Both, and interestingly, both union and non-union workers join in. Hell, Yes. And, you know, you got to imagine, I mean, you see so many people walking out or they come by your stuff. Hey, we're on strike. Come on. Fuck you're, like, yes. you're not even in a union, but people just dropped it and said, whatever. Yeah, I'm in. You also had organizations of veterans in the articles I was reading. They called them returned soldiers. But anyway, their organizations, you know, basically took votes and said, yeah, we're with the strikers. Hell yeah. Uh, we, we like them. This basically brings the striking population up to one sixth of the city. Wow. Of Winnipeg. If you include their families who went out there, you know, joined them out there to support and everything and everybody involved who were like just sympathetic and out there with them, but weren't workers themselves, you have about half the population of the city. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. So that's what we're saying is like, it's not just the workers here. Basically, this was group effort. Uh, And they had demands. They said, you know, we're supporting the striking workers here. uh, You know, the original guys. And we want higher wages, like living wages. We want to reduce the work week from 60 hours to 44 hours. Whoa. (laughs) Oh, no. We want collective bargaining rights. We want you to, you know, recognize that we can negotiate in these unions. And we want all of the striking workers to keep their jobs, to be able to go back to them once the strike is over. Pretty, I mean, we just compare that to one big union demands. Pretty meager. Pretty, you know, conservative. 
I mean, yeah, you ain't even down to 40 hours a week yet. Yeah. So that's all they were asking for. <laughs> more pay, less work. Hey, don't fire these guys just for trying to get more pay and less work. And recognize our union. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they say recognize our union, do they mean the Lembig Union? The, like the trades council With the trades ones. ones. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of the meat. You know, you have the small crafts, then these are kind of the mediums, and then mm-hmm. the one big union would be the yeah. supersize. So yeah, general strike. They shut down the city. The Winnipeg's Trades and Labor Council newspaper called the Western Labor News uh, told workers, you know, hey, shit shut down. Let's go out. Have fun, basically. <laughs> Just turn it into like a city festival. Kind of. Yeah. It said, you know, a quote from the paper it said, the only thing the workers have to do to win this strike is to do nothing. Just <laughs> eat, sleep, play, love, laugh, and look at the sun. Wow. Our fight consists of doing no fighting. That sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, except, I think, except to look at the sun. I I don't advise that. We can't, <laughs> can't stand That's how you fucked your eyes up. <laughs> but, I mean, they almost say, live, laugh, love, basically. They truly, yeah. Live, laugh, look at the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the vibe that they start with. On the other side, the other vibe. They're not saying, live, laugh, look at the sun. They're saying, like, bend over, get crushed, lick my boot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> May 19th, the Citizens Committee of 1000 uh, starts publishing their own anonymous newspaper called The Winnipeg Citizen. Okay. And they use this to basically berate the strikers as Bolshevik aliens. Aliens. That's nice, too. Add some, like, anti-immigrant sentiment. That's great. Oh, yeah. They lean on that a lot. Mm-hmm. They love that. May 21st, they finally get around to forming a strike committee. Uh, before that, it was kind of coordinated. All the essential stuff was happening, but coordinated by like an interim committee of the of the Trades Labor Council thing. But now they've got like a real organization. They're going to actually start, you know, making sure, coordinating all the essential things get done. We feed people. We clean stuff. We, you know transport things from here to there that sort of stuff we even cool. have the cops whoa all right nobody would think cops are essential in our modern understanding of cops <laughs> but these cops behaved very uncop like they were part of a cop union which are usually bad but these guys voted to join the strike whoa okay interesting <laughs> And so the strike committee said, well, okay, I mean, yeah, we'd like you to stay on the job. You guys seem cool, you know? (laughs) Wow. So you have cops, you have milk deliveries, food trucks, sanitation, all that. Uh, The way they came up with doing this was, you know, kind of by permit. So they would put these signs on like the wagons for the, for whatever workers were doing things that the strike committee said, yeah, this should be done. And put a sign on it says permitted by authority of the strike committee. Just so you know, they're not scab assholes, right? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So you don't bother them. Right. But wouldn't you know it, the real assholes of the story, the Citizens Committee. Did they start making fake ones? No, they start writing in the paper. That would have been kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but they start writing in their paper, you know, look, oh man, this is turning into Soviet Russia. You know, soon you'll need to see the strike committee's permission to go to the bathroom and everything else. Okay, okay, sure. The classic communism is when you have one toothbrush sort of thing. (laughs) Well, okay. I mean, the city was so stratified though. Like were all the rich people just stuck in the south side of town with like no fucking, like nothing worked and like no maids to clean up after them. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> they live in Stinktown now. <laughs> I mean, they they did uh, struggle in some senses. I read accounts of like rich people themselves actually going and scabbing mm. to <laughs> like drive cars and stuff for people like transport things to them so they were like scabbing to try to get by i guess in their section of the wow. town because they didn't have any workers yeah like some, some of them tried to scab to like do a telephone maybe in in the place of some of the telephone workers something like that yeah i mean i i heard about a strike going on uh these ski patrols and like other workers in like aspen i think or maybe Vale. it's one of those mm-hmm. ski resort towns and they're just like yeah like it's too fucking expensive to live here and we can't live here and you know yeah. and i just i get a big kick out of imagining like all these rich people going on vacation be like well my hot towels and you know just not yeah <laughs> not having the experience they want because they're fucking not paying people enough Hell, at that point, they could put their Karen skills to good use and like really let the, <laughs> you know, let the resort people have it. Not the little lowly workers, but I mean, corporate, you know, mm-hmm. be like, like where, the fuck? where are the people that are taking care of me? Also, ski patrol, like I'm going to die out there. <laughs> what is that? Those are the people that like help you if you get in a snow drift so, yeah. or something? I think so. Okay, so we, neither of us, actually, have you ever gone skiing? I've never no, gone skiing. of course not. With my fucking knees? No way. Okay. Or I didn't know if you hung out. I would just hang out in the lodge. I would go out one I would night, only hang out in the lodge. Or one day, you know, and then I would, that'd be it. I'd no. tell everybody how much I skied. I don't do white people falling down nonsense sports. So <laughs> I got very valuable risks to me. So no way. I would do it once, but I haven't because I'm too proletarian. You know? Mm-hmm. anyway you have this scene where basically the workers in winnipeg you know temporarily but still take power for themselves and run their city they had a lot of fun you know they were looking at the sun and chilling (laughs) hanging out they were hanging out in the parks they were listening to speakers come by and be like yeah we're the working class we're great you know so cool uh so yeah it was like a big pep rally except fun um yeah, I don't know. You might have been a pep rally kid. No, but I, I don't was think not. our demographics are. Well, I mean, listener, like, I bet our demographics skew away from pep rally kids. I but, would assume. Well, it's it's cool if you were. Um, I mean, I no was, judgment, uh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So they, you know, they were they're going to the cool workers pep rally. You had, you know, all these speakers. You had women um, like Helen Armstrong. Her nickname was Ma Armstrong. I love that name. Edith Hancock's preaching women's equality equal pay you know we don't want to go out there and just get a raise for the guys we Mm -hmm. want the women workers too they also are raising money there is a organization called the women's labor league uh, that was raising money to help women strikers pay their rent awesome so yeah there's all this you know intersectional solidarity there strikers also set up you know programs and stuff they had bike lessons for children oh that's cute they had theater troops come in to do (gasps) you know just do shows and stuff for the Can striking that be workers. My job in the big strike. <laughs> Everyone wants to be in the theater when the. <laughs> I, oh, I know. Uh, yeah, you can do that. I'll write the speeches, and we'll let someone else uh, clean the sewers. You know. <laughs> no, I'll do a shift in there. All the shifts are shorter. That's true. That's true. So yeah, people, you know, found ways to have a good time despite kind of the material hardship of the struggles of just distributing things. I mean, they also had to set up, you know food distribution like soup kitchens basically Mm -hmm. and stuff i mean no one's living high on the hog right now but the point was that they were helping each other to survive the situation 
Yeah, I mean, I think about that of like, you know, you see it in microcosms, I think, when I guess, for example, like a disaster happens or uh, a big weather event happens, like you see people coming out and and setting up like, hey, I I cooked this food. Does anyone want some kind of thing? You know, like very much grassroots sort of thing. And, you you know, even on a sillier level, you see this for things like Halloween. That is a spontaneously organized neighborhood based thing that just we have all agreed to do. You know, no one is charging for the candy. (laughs) You know, except like the stores, is, but yeah, except for the stores. But like, yeah, it, it is a community aspect of, hey, I'm going to give you this thing because like you're a kid and you deserve to have nice things. And like, yeah. I think about like neighborhoods on that level of like, I remember when it, you know, there was a big freeze here. Like there was a lot of people asking like, oh, like, does anyone have like a shovel or like, you know, offering help? And it was just really nice. And I, I, I really value when neighborhoods can come together like that. I think you're spot on in drawing the analogy of like disaster mutual aid is like no one's a capitalist except for the most like deranged evil debased monsters yeah no one's a capitalist when that stuff happens like everybody's like how can i help what can i do you know if they're reaching out to people they're not like looking for deals to have to pay people they're just looking for help like everyone you know in an emergency like that that's what that's how that's i talk about human nature that's that's it right there well, I mean, I even I watched a documentary over the break of uh, the New York blackout in 77, and they contrasted it with the previous blackouts in the 60s. And, you know, they were showing a lot of like the looting and stuff that was going on. But they, I think, did a really good job of setting up the differences of like, hey, like tensions were really fucking high. Wages were extremely low and labor actions were getting crushed left. Like this is a different city, you know? Yeah. Like it, it had been through so much that people were more distrusting and saw it as an opportunity because they had to. Whereas in previous strikes, they described it much more as like, a, oh, it's kind of a fun camp out situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's you got to keep that in mind as, as a kind of constant thread throughout this is the ruling class is really terrified of us all hanging out together and like getting each along. Other. <laughs> yeah. Like. They don't want that. They want us atomized, alone, and afraid. Yes. That's why they're going to keep talking about the looting and act as if everyone will loot if given the chance. Right. Yeah. And we see it in the Winnipeg situation of this, you know, fear of popular solidarity. We see it now. It's a common thread. We are the power that they're afraid of. But I mean, I think we have stronger common threads of... You know, you see a kid in danger, you're going to fucking help the kid. I don't care what the fuck you're doing. You know, yeah. like we all have base instincts of helping each other. Yeah. That's, I think, stronger than their ability to try to crush us. It's just they have done a good job of, by now, brainwashing us into being like, yeah, that's what you do in those situations. But then as soon as you can, you have to cut that off and people have to, you know, be incentivized to work and everything else. So, yeah, they were having a good time. They were also going to church, and specifically, they were going to labor church. Oh, I like that kind of church. I think I could do that. <laughs> so this is, I, this is a cool uh, aspect of this. They had set up this guy named William Ivins. Uh, he was this former Methodist minister who basically got hounded out of the church for being against World War I. He was like a pacifist. <laughs> Okay, that's a shit reason to kick out a pastor. Like, oh, you don't want to kill people? 
Yeah, and he was like, sorry, I thought I served the Prince of Peace. Like, yeah, I guess I misread this this book I've been studying my whole life. Is this the same book that you guys have? Like, <laughs> you guys have different didn't copies. give me one, a different one as a joke, right? She gets some of those American Bibles from down south. <laughs> <laughs> the Patriots Bible. It's got a red, white, and blue cover, you know. <laughs> oh, this, this is an aside. Speaking of Bible covers, uh, there was a different strike in Canada through that like wave of strikes that we were mm-hmm. talking about. Where they in one they did a big raid of like a labor union kind of headquarters or something along those lines, and they had a decree to uh, burn all of the books, any book there that had red binding, which resulted in them burning a lot of Bibles. <laughs> That's but really awkward. Like, Commie shit, you know, because it's bound in red, but. <laughs> Just, just, you know. I feel like half of Bibles are red. Right. That's a pretty Bible color. Like, yeah. Red. That's embarrassing. <laughs> that was a different strike altogether. Not here. But they were going to this uh, labor church. This guy, William Ivins, set it up as well. Kind of a, a pro-working class Christian socialist church. Okay. Okay. I wouldn't kick it out of bed. He ended up becoming editor of that newspaper we mentioned, the Western Labor News. And so during the strike, they were putting out strike bulletins every day, basically. So he's out there. He ends up out there in Victoria Park giving sermons for the labor church, saying, like, God's on your side. God's on the side of the working class and the class struggle. And he's writing daily, you know, updates of what's happening in the strike and everything. So I did think labor church was just going to be like our podcast in person, (laughs) you know, (laughs) just like labor school, basically. No, no, no. This is like church, church. Church, but... church. Okay, okay. Never mind. I'd be a little less into it, but I'd still go to one service. <laughs> yeah, it's totally like pro-workers, pro-strike, pro... It's leftist, you know, it's yeah, socialist. Yeah, yeah. But I could probably fuck with that. But it was religious, you know. It was like, Jesus, he's good, you know, <laughs> and he likes the workers. That's another thing people were doing. And, and as the strike went on, you know, he drew bigger and bigger crowds uh, to hear him speak. And there were also other preachers come through as well that were just like, Oh yeah, I also like this shit. Like, let's go. So yeah, kind of cool. Very cool. However, we must bring back in our villains. Oh no, I hate those guys. I've got the, in my notes, I have CC1K. CC1K. Cause I get, got tired of typing them out. So, but the citizens committee of 1000, they had a lot to say about what was going on. You know, and they were typing it up in their little dweeby newspaper, but they were also getting in the ear of government officials. Mm, Of course they were. Because the government, the federal government sent out some people to see what the fuck is happening. Right. They hear shit's going down in Winnipeg. So they send out the Minister of Justice, Arthur Meehan, and the Minister of Labor, Gideon Robertson. Now go down to Winnipeg, like, figure this shit out. I mean, Arthur Mean, that's way too close to Arthur Mean. <laughs> well, it's spelled way differently. I had to look up how to say mm, it. Okay. But it's like Meighen is how it looks. Ooh. Mean, but the GH kind of does a silent thing. So anyway, yeah, he is he's kind of mean. The Citizens Committee intercepts these guys on their way. Like they're, you know, taking the train or whatever out that way. They meet them at this port city and they're like, hey, 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 hey hold on. <laughs> I, we... We're from Winnipeg, you know, battered refugees from the Bolshevik encampment there. Look, here's here's what's happening, okay? The, the Reds are taking over our city. They're, they they want to overthrow 
the government. They, they're, you know, radicals that want to execute all of the rich people. They want to turn it over to <laughs> the teeming masses of Eastern European immigrants. It's bad. Like, you, you got to help us. Wow. Imagine if there was like a secretly cool guy in that group that was like, that sounds pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, one of the government representatives is like, okay, our work here is done. It sounds good. Sounds great. <laughs> We're I'm actually back. a huge trader, so that actually sounds really good to me. <laughs> All power to the Soviets. He just leaves. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, probably that's not going to lead to anything bad, right? Oh, it'll be fine, right? Yeah. uh, Wrong. So, Mian and the government guy ends up appointing this guy named A.J. Andrews to be the Federal Justice Department's representative in Winnipeg. He's like, A.J. Andrews, you're my boy here. You're going to make sure the Winnipeg shit turns out well here's the thing about aj andrews while they didn't have like titles of who's what in the citizens committee of 1000 he was the de facto leader of it (gasps) okay so he gets to be put in charge of basically how are we going to solve shit in winnipeg well that seems unfair uh yeah i mean i think everyone would agree he's going to (laughs) use this position to shut down newspapers, to arrest and prosecute strike leaders. Shit. He's even going to use his influence to get the government to amend uh, federal immigration law. Shit. Oh, fuck. Okay. So no big deal. I mean, that's, that's going to be fine. <laughs> AJ Andrews, real asshole. Yeah, fuck uh, that guy. Mian, a real fool for putting him in power. But he just, he trusted him. I mean, this guy's well-dressed. He shows up and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> terrible in Winnipeg, you know, all that. Oh, so my he just God. goes with it. So like he didn't even go, like he didn't make it. They, no, they do end up showing up, but they get the story spun to them in the first place. And so then when they're going and they're looking at stuff, they never meet with the strike guys like directly what? like that uh, to start with. They, they're, they're just meeting with the citizens committee guys. And so they go and they look at, you know, the striking people out there in the, in the park and everything. And they look at them. Oh, they, yeah, they see it through they that are. lens. Yeah, and the, and the Citizens Committee guys are pointing at him and be like, look, oh, how filthy, you know, everything. What the fuck? Like, even if even if you think, okay, yes, these are, you know, dangerous Bolsheviks and immigrants or whatever, you, like, logically would still want to meet with them to get intel. Like, you know, <laughs> to, like, let me count how many people y'all got and, you know, like, let me f- find out what your plans are and shit like that. Like, that's yeah. just bad strategy. Well, it takes them a long time to even do that. But then even you know, once they do, they're always meeting with them basically at the side of the citizens committee guys. And like, they're like, mm, okay, you're in here. Well, you rabble need to stop sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so they're, zero they're good intentions. from the beginning. Yeah. And that's pretty much the work of the citizens committee. The federal government, I think, comes in probably with a pro-business bias. Yeah. Not as, you know, not as intense as the citizen committee. Now, the local government was a little bit more neutral to start with, uh, but they get pushed by the weight of the federal government under the influence of the citizens committee. So it's, mm. these guys are the real villains of like mm-hmm. taking what could be kind of a negotiated situation and just ratcheting it up. Yeah. You know, and saying, no, we're going to we're going to take over this, you know, the faction that's supposed to arbitrate. We're going to take them over and make them do what we want. So as the strike drags on. The Citizens Committee works over the government guys and convinces them, hey, everything's bad. We need to take harsher measures. Uh, Mian has a quote from 
you know, once he's seen everything and heard from the citizens committee, he says that the strike is a cloak for something far deeper, an effort to overturn the proper authority. Oh no. And, uh, his buddy, the labor guy, Robertson says the motive behind this strike undoubtedly was the overthrow of constitutional government. <laughs> when was that in their list? You know, that was the, that was the, um, we the only original, want to work 44 hours, uh, part, right? Yeah. Apparently or that's what that wage. means. <laughs> yeah. So harsher measures, we got to really lay down the law. So they get the, go- they get the city government to pass a decree that all civic employees must sign a loyalty pact. <gasps> no. Never strike or you'd be fired. Fuck that shit. It was called the slave pact. They didn't. Okay, so they didn't call. I it don't that, think they called know. it that. No. <laughs> we just want you to sign this little slave pact. It's okay. Don't don't, don't worry about the wording. <laughs> don't worry about it. That's that's a working title. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but the workers called it the slave pact because that's what it fucking is. They said you're going to accept whatever the conditions are, no matter what. Fuck no. And this applied to the police as well. Uh oh. Who had you know voted to join the strike? This, in particular, pissed off the veterans group. It kind of makes sense. Law and order types, maybe, you know, kind of kindred spirits, maybe. Uh, But they demanded that the city rescind that. They're like, that's too far. And by the end of the month, by the end of May, only three cops had actually signed the slave pact. Wow. Not a popular pact. Yeah. Uh, The federal government also authorized the city to use the armed forces. And the predecessor to the Mounties, they were called the Royal Northwest Mounted Police. Uh-oh. Eventually, they're merged with, I think, the Dominion Police or something like that. And that's what becomes the Mounties. <laughs> I'm watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Dominion is like the bad guys. So it's very funny <laughs> to me. Yeah, Canada has this big <laughs> ominous name. Yeah. Dominion of Canada. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, if you need to, you know, restore order, feel free to use the army or the state police. Jesus Christ. So obviously, tensions are rising. In May and June, lots of people in Canada have heard about what's going down in Winnipeg. General strikes broke out in 30 other cities. Some of these were just for local demands. We talked about the wider strike wave that was going on, but some of these were either also about or specifically about being in solidarity with the Winnipeg general strike. Sick. I mean, I think it's cool that they're doing that and it has some potential of like a countrywide general strike sort of thing. I think it's other effect was reinforcing the citizens committee narrative of this is a countrywide insurrection. I see. I see from their perspective and from the, you know, the bias take that the government's getting, Ah, you know, maybe they're like, uh, there's something to that. It's happening all over. So it kind of makes them more scared. Yeah, definitely throw some fuel on the fire. Uh, come June 2nd, around 5,000 veterans and strike sympathizers march to the legislative building in Manitoba. You know, for us Texans, that would be marching down to Austin State Capitol, mm-hmm. right? So State Congress, or the Provincial Congress, and demanded that the government mandate collective bargaining or resign oh shit okay so instead of signing your your shit treaty that says we lose you win 
<laughs> you sign ours it says <laughs> you listen to us or you lose <laughs> yeah so that would mean you know companies have to enter into they have to collectively bargain they cannot refuse to recognize unions wow right? so that demand they were saying do it or else that's sick and the premier you know so kind of like our governor that's the equivalent guy named tc norris he refused he said no uh unless you call off this strike basically saying i'm not negotiating with strikers you know <laughs> that sort of thing yeah so it didn't work they head back on the way back they they all march they end up marching by the the citizens committee headquarters it was kind of like an open secret like they knew oh this i think it was the trades building or some sort of well-known building there they knew they were meeting there and with government officials and shit and so when they marched by it they all like hissed fuck yes fuck you you know but anyway there's too many marches going on the mayor of winnipeg charles gray said there's too many there's too many marches they're 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 demonstrating too much they're showing too much worker power so he issued a ban on parades oh come on no parades no like happy you know floats or anything christmas parades in june you wouldn't have them anyway but still yeah what do you got in june i guess for no fourth of july parade if we make it that far but <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow no parades at fun all. killer mayor fun killer but mainly he's targeting these veterans marches and and the strikes and strike sympathizer marches that were like really driving home how unified the city was so he does that june 5th june 6th the citizens committee friends of the show convince the canadian government to amend the immigration act they don't make it any better i'm uh, sure they don't <laughs> <laughs> let everybody in <laughs> yes yeah, it's, it's fine they amend it to allow the government to deport without trial <gasps> anyone born outside of canada if they're accused of sedition okay so all you have you don't have to prove accused it accused of charge them with sedition and then if they're not born in canada even if they're like a british citizen blam kick them out holy uh, shit yeah so this was you know tied in with what we were saying before the anti-immigrant propaganda and the citizens committee was doing that non-stop in the papers they were running ads saying these are you know the unwashed masses of eastern europe and they're bolshevik and they they have you know they came over from red russia and they're just like them and all this you know it was the unrest was the work of this alien rabble sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This isn't who we are. Right. Uh, and so that's what they were stirring up. This like very pro-British national identity sort of thing, nationalistic sort of thing, anti-immigrant. And so they got the government to say, yeah, you know, it is. There is an immigration problem. They are bringing wow. over foreign ideas. We got to kick them out. That's fucked. Yeah, just the bad ones, of course. Just the ones that are charged with sedition without <laughs> Not proof. even proof. Yeah, just just <laughs> accused of. If you just like don't like your neighbor, you can just be like, yeah, I'm racist. I'm going to go accuse them of sedition and get them kicked out of the fucking country. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, Citizens Committee, we can thank them for that. Always good guys. Uh, June 9th, the deadline has passed. Cops, you had your time. You should have signed the pledge. Basically, none of you did. We're getting rid of the rest of you. The city axed all the cops. They fired every cop who didn't sign the slave pact, which was like nearly all of them. Okay, that's one way to defund the police, huh? Yeah, they did, they did it. <laughs> uh, nah, but just kidding, they didn't. They, they got rid of those cops, and then they hired 
New cops. Shithead cops. <laughs> um, Even like the worse kind of cops. cops we're used to. <laughs> cops classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These guys were called special constables. Their nickname were the specials. They were basically untrained. They were just oh, volunteer just, yokels. Okay, okay. Just some real chads and fucking, what's the term? I don't know. Not even Yahoos. himbo. Yeah, I don't want to give him the credit of himbo. Just fucking assholes. Meatheads. Meatheads, that's a good word. I don't know. Um, <laughs> some goons. I learned that, okay, so hunky, this scene, This is just describe someone who's kind of a hunk, right? Mm-hmm, like, that's what I thought. Attractive. So it used to be, it's no longer in, in use this way anymore, but it used to be a racial slur what? against like Eastern European type people. Why? Were they I don't know the buff? nuances of using it or anything, but I just, I learned that. I was like, well, that's weird. I've never heard of that, but okay. Were they all super buff? No, it wasn't anything to do with that. It wasn't like related. <laughs> uh, Every Hungarian I've ever met is just fucking so swole. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was related to, oh, the like Hungarians or Austro-Hungarian Empire, any of those sort of. Okay, okay. Eastern so maybe European Hung and then Hunk. Slavic and Hungarian. I don't know why, but maybe it was a subconscious thing. Like they were also kind of. They were also so. super fine. <laughs> so don't use don't use that badly. But there you go. That's okay. But we we are pro hunk in general. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pro hunk. I'm <laughs> pro himbo, zembo, etc. Yeah. Uh, anyway, these guys were pretty much untrained. They were, however, better paid than the original cops because they were just kind of bribing them mm-hmm. into. They're fucking scabs. Yeah, a paramilitary private army of thugs. These guys are armed with wagon spokes and chair legs. Oh, wow. Some real improvised weapons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently a local hardware company provided those for them. So just real brutes, you know? Yeah, what the fuck? They just sent some some cavemen in there with sticks. <laughs> yeah. <Just> clubs. <laughs> just go um, fuck them up. I don't know. I found this, this aspect of the strike interesting in that to the extent that cops were able to side with the workers and, and express themselves as workers... Uh, once, you know, if they reached that point, which they did in this case, they just get dumped as cops. Like they, they thereby shed their cop identity. That's true. Like you really can't be full cop the whole time. No. And you can try, but the, the, you know, They'll your just masters you. will just get rid of you. Yeah. yeah. Like you cease to be. And that's the thing, you know, you talk about, oh, could the cops ever be on our side? Could the military ever be on our side? Things like that. Well, like if they're that in, they eventually will cease to be. <laughs> Right. Both of those positions have a master. And if you turn on them, you know, you, you can still, you know, serve some sort of a new purpose in the new society, but your old one is now your enemy, you know? So I just thought that was interesting. They get proletarianized and replaced by like copier cops than they were. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Like if that, if that were to happen, a new breed of cop would show up to replace them. Yeah. Which I think is, you know, the breed of cop we have now, so mm-hmm. don't count on this ever happening again. But <laughs> yeah, uh, different times. That was June 9th. Also, June 9th, uh, it only takes a few hours for one of these dumbass specials uh, to get into an officer involved incident. I'm surprised they lasted that long. <laughs> yeah, I thought they'd just start, you know, blammo shooting. Just like everybody, let's go. <laughs> well, it's it's almost like that. So this guy, dumbass named Frederick Coppins. He actually His name was is like Coppins? Coppins, yeah. Wow, he was born for this. 
he was waiting. Well, he actually was British and had moved there after the war. He was a war hero, did some stuff in World War One. you know, decorated. I was about to say, could we get him on sedition? <laughs> right? <laughs> no, you got him on being a hero of strike-breaking mm-hmm. uh, by uh, just charging his horse into a group of strikers. <laughs> and it actually ends up worse for him. They drag him off of said horse and kick his shit in. Oh, fuck. They beat the hell out of him and hell send his yeah. ass back. Hell and, yeah. You know, of course, the paper runs with him and says, oh, this is terrible. Look at these horrible. They said, you know, oh, he he fought the Hun over there and now he comes back the to fight Hun. the Bolshevik Huns here. Oh, my God. You know, and he was just their hero for it. The the scabs and the and the capitalists. A couple days later, another special got hurt because he got shot in the leg and the Citizens Committee paper and the Winnipeg Citizen, which was like the liberal business kind of anti-strike paper. But they weren't as rabid, but still they were they hated the strikers. The Winnipeg Tribune, they both claimed, oh, this guy was defending himself from a crowd of alien Bolshevik mob, you know. Uh, In reality, he was shot by another special on accident. (laughs) Just oh fucking God. Keystone Cops. Cops gonna cop, man. Right. They were like already as soon as you transition to shithead cops, they start doing what we <laughs> what we know cops for. Yeah, this is the birth of modern day cops, <laughs> truly. Uh Winnipeg, yeah. You you hate to see it. Yeah, I'm sorry that that's your, your claim to fame. Yeah, I'm I'm sure other places already had shit cops, but I'm this sure. This Winnipeg's first exposure. Real quick, speaking of claim to fames, I watched I watched a lot of documentaries um, uh, this weekend, but <laughs> there was one on, on JFK, and uh, mm. apparently Dallas was known as the hate capital of the world. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, they, they were like, I, we were all really surprised he went there. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, fuck. That's not a, I want that on a mug or something like Dallas, the hate, hate capital of the world. <laughs> I don't want it on a shirt because I don't want people to think that I'm into that, but that's like, right. really funny to me for some reason. <laughs> uh, it was it was certainly a choice. I know they yeah. had wanted posters of him for treason and stuff like that. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah, classic like Joe Brandon stuff, but for Kennedy. Yeah, they said that like Houston was more of the blue collar town and, and Dallas was all business interests. So that, that kind of tracks to me. Oh yeah, it was oil. I mean, yeah. oil money and everything else. Yeah. Pretty suspicious. Uh, mm. Don't get show. us started. <laughs> we'll be here all night. We have done that before to our friends. <laughs> yeah, not the best move, but... It was great. We survived. We survived, but that bottle of whiskey did not. <laughs> so all along, the government is sending in weaponry. They're sending in machine guns, armored cars, just in case the military needs to lay down the law. Cool, not suspicious at all. No, it's fine. It's fine. Now they're not going to use it. They've imported some weapons here, and they've changed the laws to make sure that they can deport whoever they want. You know, as long as they're not really, really Canadian. They've shown such restraint with their goon squad, so I'm sure this will be fine. Right, they, and they've now got just the goon squad they want. You know, that or they can use the state police, which is what they're about to do. June seventeenth. In the wee hours of the morning, the Mountie predecessors, the Royal Northwest Mounted Police guys, they do a big raid. They arrest and they jail a lot of the strike leaders. The guys in particular, 
I didn't want to get into most of the personalities because there's too many. Um, but I do want to at least name drop them because they're pretty much, they're cool. <laughs> so, so these are the strike leaders. Uh, George Armstrong, Roger Bray, Abraham Heaps, William Ivins, who we mentioned before, R.B. Russell, John Queen, Solomon Almazov, Max Charitov, Samuel Blumenberg, Oscar Shaporay, and Mike Varensuk. I don't want to assume based on names, but it does sound like there were some immigrants like at the leadership level. Yeah. Uh, these last five guys were immigrants in particular who end up uh, being threatened, at least, with deportation. I wow. think a couple of the other guys were, too, in that like they were British immigrants or they had immigrated some there was they got a couple guys on technicalities too of their immigration status as well just because they were trying to get them out you know yeah but they arrest all these guys just a mass arrest Jesus they're like rifling through uh, their homes and everything looking for incriminating you know oh here's here's the communist manifesto here's you know their plan to burn down the rich people's houses and you know they don't find <laughs> anything like that <laughs> but they do these mass arrests and so a few days later, June 21st, uh, the Veterans Organization plans a silent parade in protest of the arrests. Now, remember, they can't do parades. Oh, yeah. Parades are illegal. They ask permission from the city. They say, hey, uh, we think y'all did some fucked up shit. We would like to do this parade in protest. We also would like you not to run the streetcars. The, the streetcars, all those operators are on strike. We don't want you scabbing them. And we've heard talk that like maybe there's going to be some scabbers doing streetcar stuff. Don't do that. All right. The city says, fuck you. Like, we're going to do that. And we're not going to let we're you gonna do, you know, we're, we're not going to promise anything on the streetcars and your parade sounds like it sucks. You can't do it. The soldier said, that's, you know, fuck us. Fuck you. Like we're, we're going to do this parade anyway. We already have a plan. It's going off later tonight. Come see it. It'll be fun. So let tonight, like this afternoon, actually, uh, here we get to the events of Bloody Saturday. Oh, no. Another bloody day of the week. Bloody. Yeah. God, that needs like its own. I mean, it's got its own Wikipedia article for sure. But like we need a tag in all of our episodes like this one's got a bloody day in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, June 21st. They went to ask permission. They got told no. 1.45 p.m. rolls around, and so strikers, veterans, just sympathizers, onlookers start gathering for the silent parade. Here, the timeline, specifically hour by hour and stuff, kind of breaks down, so I'm just going to give a good account-ish of what happens. A couple things might be flip-flop depending on your source. A lot of this I got from the University of Manitoba. Like They have a, a good like online exhibit about the Winnipeg general strike including like a timeline. And even their timeline is like when it gets to bloody Saturday, it's like, it depends. Who fucking so, knows? so yeah, I just kind of tell the story as best I can make sense of it. All right. They start gathering. Then wouldn't you know it? Ding, ding, ding. A street car. No. Comes around the corner and tries to make its way through the crowd, but it stopped. They kind of let it come in some, and then they surround it. This is, I mean, a clear provocation. They said, don't fucking scab on us with the streetcar. And here they come sending a scab operating a streetcar right at their protest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's definitely rubbing in their faces. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, 
the Mounties show up. I'm just going to call them the Mounties from now. We know that they're predecessor, but whatever. <laughs> they're, they're mounted. All right. Yeah, they, they're uh, on the horses. Yeah. Uh, the Mounties show up and charge into the crowd. And the crowd says, these are, these are wild men with clubs on horseback. <laughs> We're going to let them through. We're not going to, you know, get ourselves run over by these these uh, Mounties. That'd be crazy. So Fair enough. Just kind of move out the way. But they like calmly move out the way. They're like scrambling yeah, to yeah. the sidewalks. Yeah, because there's fucking maniacs on horses coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And then the crowd says, this street streetcar guy, fuck this guy. They launch at the at the streetcar and try to overturn it. And this is hard to do, but they do end up kind of tipping it off the track somewhat. And then, you know, they can't really get it all the way over or anything. So they settle for setting it on fire. When in doubt, go with fire. I don't think the guy died. I think he got out of there. Okay. Fucking booked it as soon as he's like, oh shit. You know, <laughs> they didn't pay me this much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At this point, the mayor who's there, you know, Mayor Gray, I guess he's, you know, I guess he wants to make sure that things don't go exactly the way they're going right now. <laughs> uh, it's like, fuck. Okay. And so he reads the riot act to the crowd. <gasps> you ever heard this expression, read the riot yeah, act? Yeah. Okay. So he actually does it? Yeah. So it's like, based on this British law of the riot act where when there's, you know, something you're considering a riot, you read the proclamation to them. Hey, fuckers disperse or else. And then if they don't disperse, you can fuck them up. Okay. So this is just an excuse to start bashing heads act. Yeah. It's like, it's like at least the correct translation, but still that one um, where the Spaniards could like, requiremento. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that, except at least it's in the right language. Yeah, right. Like, at least most people. I mean, most people, though, because not everyone is speaking English here, probably. True. But uh, most people know what's going on. Yeah. So he reads the riot act to the crowd. There is no change. The Mounties charge in again. And, you know, people scramble out of the way again. But now, you know, people start throwing shit at them, throwing rocks and bottles. And, you know, they're, they're kind of pissed. I mean, these guys are, are riled up. You yeah. Know? And then the Mounties round, you know, they charge in, they round around again and come back for a third charge. And this time they draw their revolvers. Oh, fuck. And fire around 120 shots into the crowd in three volleys. Oh, my God. That's that's a lot. How big of a crowd are we talking here? We're probably talking somewhere in the thousands. Jesus. Yeah. Two people are killed. One immediately, one the next day from his wounds. I can't believe it's not more. Yeah, lots of people are wounded, but they, uh, you got and they are on horseback. It's pretty hard to hit things accurately. Yeah, yeah, and they're also the fucking B team. <laughs> well, the, the the Mounties, at least these guys were the real. Oh, uh, that's right, that's right. They still at the time were kind of a paramilitary thing, but think of them as like kind of the Texas Rangers, I guess. Of, but two men are killed: Mike Sokolowski uh, and Steve Skirbanowitz. Uh, the hospitals report around 30 casualties, injuries and stuff from police gunfire, uh, though many more were probably treated by friends and family too afraid to go to the hospital. We saw a similar thing, you know, in the Haymarket uh, affair and everything is, you know, people don't want to go seek treatment after the cops shot them up. Understandable. Uh, at this point, our good friends, the specials, show up to fuck stuff up oh good that's just who we need more guns yeah these guys notorious for their restraint i'm sure it'd be fine to throw them in this volatile situation (laughs) cool heads yeah and you know by now the strikers are fleeing the mounties are running around shooting people 
The specials are running around beating people. The specials at one point trap a bunch of fleeing strikers in an alley between Market and James Avenue. And they it's it's this group of men, women, and children that they trap in this alleyway and they just beat the shit out of them. What the men, women, and children? Everybody? Yeah, it's like ten minutes uh, of just like mayhem. Holy shit. The accounts are too kind of varied and unreliable. They're just like, oh, it sucked a whole lot. Uh, and they don't really go into detail. Uh, but this is known afterward as Hell's Alley to give you a wow. idea of the brutality there. Yeah, so they just go to town. Jesus Christ. The state militia entered the fray uh, at this point, coming in in trucks and everything uh, with machine guns and bayonets, basically just shutting shit down. Patrol the streets, you know, quote unquote, restore calm. Even though you're the ones that caused all the chaos. Yeah, it's your guys. Like, <laughs> literally no cops were killed. Like Some 80 people end up arrested on various charges for what happened there in Bloody Saturday. And after that, the Western Labor News publishes you know, its story about what happened. Uh, and by now, they actually have a different editor. We mentioned our guy Ivans before. Mm-hmm. The former Methodist minister who was their editor and stuff. Well, he got arrested in that strike mm, leader thing. Okay, yeah. He's one of the strike leaders. The guy who took his place, another former Methodist minister. Something was in the water back then in, in those <laughs> seminaries. Something in the communion wafers. Do they do yeah. communion? I think so. I don't think so. I think I if they do, it's no very idea. symbolic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this guy named J.S. Woodsworth had taken over by this point. And so he prints about the story of the strike and everything or the uh, bloody Saturday rather. And his story gets himself arrested for seditious libel. Oh no. Does he get deported? Uh, no, he was, he was not eligible for deportation. <laughs> okay. Close call. But they charged him, you know, Oh, you're, this is libel. You can't say this. And the charges included part of a story that was just literally a Bible verse. <laughs> Okay. Where he said, woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees. So they just don't like that part of the Bible? Right. He was like, my brother in Christ, like, <laughs> that's in, that's just in that, the book. That's I don't in the know. book. You know those books that people were burning? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot. You guys don't like that when you set them on fire. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that was, you know, part of what he would later. He actually ended up getting those charges dropped because... It was so stupid, but he did get arrested. And soon thereafter, our good friend A.J. Andrews, the chief of the citizens committee slash government agent in charge of Winnipeg now, goes on to shut down the Western Labor News newspaper altogether. Jeez. So a couple days later, June 25th, the strike committee at this point says things look pretty hopeless. They just busted us up. The government looks like it's completely on the side of the businesses. So we're going to call off the strike. No. So they say, yeah, tomorrow it's done tomorrow morning. And workers do indeed start showing back up to work. Uh, though many of them found themselves blacklisted or facing retaliation from their bosses and stuff. Oh, no. Uh, for their actions in the strike. Well, shit. Is that the end? Well, that's the end of the strike phase. Yeah. Those demands that we mm -hmm. mentioned before, there is partial success there. So the buildings, trades, workers, they got higher wages. Good. 
but they didn't get their trades council recognized. No, not good. And that's a similar thing with the metal trades workers. They got lower hours, 50 hours instead of 55 with the same pay, but they also didn't get their union recognized either. That sucks. The government went on to put the strike leaders that they had arrested on trial for seditious conspiracy. Oh, God. They focused mostly, since they really didn't have shit on them as like, okay, here's the plot where they tried to take over the government. They just focused on their socialist ideas. Okay. And said, you know, okay, you're a socialist, so you want to overthrow the government. Yeah, you're on trial for socialism. Right. And, you know... Honestly, from our perspective, maybe, yeah, kind of like that's Yeah, you should want to do that as a socialist. But Mm -hmm. these were were not really even that kind of socialist. No, like remember their list. It was like, hey, we want like higher wages and shit. (laughs) Yeah. So they really had the wrong guys for that. However, our good friend Andrews, the chief of the Citizens Committee and the man in charge, they said, you know what? He should be in charge of the jury of the the trial itself. (gasps) What? So he got to prosecute these guys. Was he a lawyer? It'd be really funny if he wasn't. He's just some guy. Oh, he did practice law. Yeah. Oh, okay, so he was a lawyer. Okay. It wasn't just like random, like, hey, you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's still like, sucks. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've seen some trials on. I watched Miracle on 34th Street, <laughs> yeah, the movie that hasn't dramas. come out yet. <laughs> <laughs> but get this. He, he used his wealth and everything to hire a private detective agency. To find, you know, just the best possible jurors to stack the jury with. And of course, you know, he was running it, the the trial and everything. So he was able to kind of bias it in that way. And it was a pretty good gig. Uh, For example, the pay that he took home for being the lawyer on this, he got paid three times what the prime minister made in a year. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, it's in, in I. I'm only giving you the relative because I don't know if this is Canadian dollars, if this is like translated for inflate. You know, I don't know any mm-hmm. of that. So, but it was three times what at the same time the prime minister was making. What the <laughs> fuck? And get this. It was, they used the government to pay him, used money that was supposed to be used to help returning veterans adjust to civilian Oh my life. God. That was going to be my guess, but I'm like, they wouldn't be that stupid and evil, right? No, they would be that stupid and evil. <laughs> Uh, The outcomes of the trials varied. Some of the accused were convicted and sentenced to a year or two years in prison. I think a couple of guys got as short as like six months or something. A few of them were acquitted or like we said with um, Ivan's had their charges dropped altogether. Not Ivan's, the other guy, uh, Woodsworth. Hmm. But generally, the trials did not go their way. To conclude, there were some good results. So one is, and I guess you can't really look at like the direct, like I think directly it's mostly a loss. Mm -hmm. Like you A, get crushed and get your head beat in and everything else and and you guys get arrested and put on trial. Yeah, that's pretty bad. You only get some of what you asked for, barely like a third of what you asked for, right? But longer term, there's some okay things. Okay, like what? So one is sympathy towards the strikers and the strike leaders in general. Uh, Clearly people in... Manitoba and Canada more broadly sort of sided with the strikers. Uh, This made the government look bad and labor candidates in the next elections did way better at all three levels of government after the strike. Okay. Okay. Specifically strike leaders, Armstrong, Ivins and queen were elected to state legislature in Manitoba while serving prison sentences. Oh shit. 
Oh, you know, I love a, a prison campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, wow. that's that's a pretty clear popular rejection pretty of their sentence. Pretty fucking popular. Yeah. Queen himself would actually, ironically enough, be elected mayor of Winnipeg later in his life. <gasps> that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. It's a real glow up for him. For sure. From not a Prada going the other way around. <laughs> Uh, you also had a couple of strike leaders, Woodsworth and Heaps, uh, who were elected as members of parliament, like the national legislature, um, for labor, and then later went on to found a very well-known political party in Canada, for any of you Canadian history buffs. They were co-founders of the Democratic Socialist uh, political party called the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation. I am not familiar, but I am not familiar with Canada. Yeah, so it's, you know, acronym of CCF. Its main claim to fame is being the home party for the greatest Canadian. Oh, I want to know about this guy. (laughs) The greatest Canadian, at least this was according to some poll, I think, that the Canadian Broadcasting or somebody did. Whoa, whoa, so people agree this is the greatest Canadian. Okay, this this isn't just you. I think... Probably greatest Canadian, but this was a popular poll. Canadians love this guy, apparently. He was the inventor of what's popularly called Medicare or the <gasps> universal single-payer uh-huh. you know, healthcare system in Canada. He was the seventh premier of Saskatchewan, the reverend and honorable Tommy Douglas. Okay, I think I have heard of this guy. Probably because I used to read Hark of Vagrant and that had a lot of Canada stuff in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, he seems cool to me. That was his home party. That's where he made his name. Sick. I mean, greatest Canadian. So, I mean, that's kind of wow. cool. Wow. I love that, like, clearly nationalized, socialized healthcare is so bad. That's why <laughs> they voted the person who made it the greatest Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone hates it. The crazy thing is, is this guy was never, like, prime minister. Like, he didn't ever get a government <laughs> okay. for himself. Okay. He led that party, you know, and, and they were kind of like, a popular third party mm, and he okay. was like a governor level you know a state government guy that's where he rolled out medicare wow. and then later canada adopted it nationwide Impressive. it was his idea but he wasn't like literally in charge so to to call like if we were to call like some random ass governor <laughs> the, the greatest, greatest american? american that's kind of this and so that's impressive that would be pretty nuts so tommy douglas friend of the show his party its roots went back to these guys, these strike leaders in the Winnipeg General Strike. Wow. The CCF, that party we're talking about, is, just a side note, the ancestor to the modern-day New Democratic Party in Canada. So they're kind of like, they're kind of left. I mean, they're not very left, and people argue like, oh, they're like less left and stuff. And so it's one of those things, I think it's similar to when we're talking about the Labour Party in the UK, where like... Mm. Because, you know, we got feedback on that. Like, yeah, they do a lot of good grassroots stuff, though, depending on where you're at. Yeah. You know, and and it's probably one of those things where, like, yeah, you got the real comrades on the street, you know. But at the national level, you always have to do these horse trading bullshit you mm-hmm. know, sort of things. But they're, they're, they're like, cooler than, <laughs> than a lot of the other choices out there. Totally. So, anyway, that's, like, a kind of a long-term seeds planted sort of result of the Winnipeg general strike. Interesting. Union-wise, the one big union, you know, got its start during the strike. The the literal one, not just the idea of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so they 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 became real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They 
they came up with their program and, and they actually came into existence during the strike and it spread. Uh, it went on to lead many of the strikes of the Canadian labor revolt in the subsequent years. But yeah, they, they go on to, to really swell their ranks, kind of reaching their peak in late 1919, early 1920. I think it's about 70,000 like members that they spread to. They end up kind of falling apart, infighting, stuff like that. Mm, uh, classic. But yeah, but that's just that particular union. And they, like I said, they play a big role in the, in the labor revolt. But union membership overall increased as more and more workers pursued collective bargaining rights. They kind of looked at this and said, that's fucked up what they did to them. It's going to happen to us if we don't stick together. You know, if we don't have collective bargaining rights, they're going to run over us with the Mounties and the specials too. So rather than wait for conditions to get so bad that you, you know, have to go on strike for that, you need to start organizing when it's good, you know, and, and getting your collective bargaining rights when the companies feel nice enough to give them to you so that you can stick to them when the going gets rough, you know? True, true. So union membership increased and law wise, I think the way I read this, I uh, read a number of sources that were like, oh yeah, this led to uh, labor law reforms and stuff, but I couldn't find like directly why or what were the proposals or anything like that or what even specifically the laws were. But if I, the, the sources seem pretty reliable that it did in some way change things. So to me, the reasoning for that is how difficult this was for the ruling class. They had to go through a lot of trouble to restore their domination. So I think it convinces businesses and the government that, you know, it'd be easier. What if we do something to address workers' complaints somewhat, you know, just enough to keep so them from rioting? So that doesn't happen again. Yeah. And that that way we can keep making money, not, maybe not quite as much, but we don't have to spend that money to brutalize people and back into compliance. So it kind of leads to piecemeal legislative reforms to help kind of labor rights, but also with restrictions. Remember, I mean, we have these restrictions here in the States too of sympathy strikes, drawing lines somewhere and saying like, Hey, no, but you can't, you guys can't all get together and take power. Okay. Like we're not going to uh, let you do that. Okay. You, you can negotiate and we can, you know, play you off each other and things like that. And that way, you know, when the garbage workers are on strike, we can make everyone mad at the garbage workers because the, the garbage is outside their house or, you know, the bus drivers are on strike. We make everybody mad at them because they don't get to go anywhere. Instead of letting them get together in solidarity and join up and be like, yeah, let's all do this. No, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to make sure that they still have to go to work and they get mad at you for making their lives more difficult. I think it's part of the broad strategy there of banning sympathy strikes. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's, it's a way to easily villainize people who just who just aren't working and what's wrong with them and you know calling them lazy and calling them entitled yeah and it's it is kind of a i gotta imagine if you have heard about strikes and stuff happening and you've seen people say like yeah what's what's the deal i've got to go to work why are these you know subway workers striking like they don't have it so bad when you've seen this then uh, my natural reaction is to be like, well, come on. Why don't you say like, yeah, what about me? Like I, I can join in with that. Like, yeah, we should have it better. You know, I should have it better too. Why don't, you know, and that impulse I think is there, but it's quashed internally. You know, we all have a policeman inside our head. It's quashed internally by this ban on sympathy. Like, that's just prescribed. You can't just go on strike because you don't like what's happening to someone else. 
And that's, I don't know, that's part of the work I think that law does. Yeah, yeah. It's it's on, it prevents you from joining in and and thus seeing yourself as part of it. Right, yeah. That, seeing yourself as part of it or in solidarity. That's, I think, what what, uh, what ends up leading to these labor reforms that are <laughs> just sort of broadly claimed. Yeah. Um, I, I know that labor law, like, got better later. I just couldn't find, like, the timeline to be able to directly direct, tie it like, and oh, say, it, like... Yeah, it was for this law here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just extrapolating, I think that would be the reasoning. That makes sense. That's the story of the Winnipeg general strike and what all it led to. I think it's a classic story in a lot of sense. It's got the city movement behind it, and it's really inspiring in that way. I liked the intersectionality of, of including women and immigrants and, you know, even people of faith and, like, trying to connect all of those different struggles together. I think that's very cool. And I think it's classic in the sense that, like, the bad guys remain the same. Like, I think that cop little twist is, like, so... That explains who cops are in a really simple, easy to grasp way of like cops are on the side of the capitalists. And if you're ever a cop who's not on the side of the capitalists, you will not be a cop for long. Yeah, that's that's the thing I kind of like about it is that here we kind of see the cops do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Strange to utter these words. It's weird. I was but- shocked. It's sort of like in Marxist theory of of class warfare and stuff. It's like, well, you know, the working class is really working to abolish itself. Is It's working to abolish class distinctions and abolish the oppression of man, and man on man. And in doing so, it's going to abolish, like, there's not going to be a working class that works, you know, gets its labor exploited or anything. And so it's going to do away with classes and stuff. And to that, it's similar in the sense that, like, Cops, if they do abandon, you know, the people who hold their leash and turn on them and become the workers, they abolish themselves as cops. Like, they have to drop that label and become something else, become workers, become the working class. Yeah, because if, if you then take away the idea of cops serving capital, they might become more what they see themselves as, which is like, oh, we're protecting people. We're, you know, helping out in an emergency situation or, you know, helping a lost kid find, the, you know, like that. then they right. could actually be true, you know, public servants in every sense of the word. Protecting but, and serving. Yeah. Yeah. They could actually fucking do the thing that's in their motto. <laughs> I <laughs> because like this. the current motto is protecting and serving whom? <laughs> Capital. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe this, uh, maybe we're, trotting over well-trodden ground Maybe. or we have it completely wrong but it seems to me like it's a good way to understand the you know more or less orthodox uh leftist claim of there are no cops in communism there's no cops in socialism and you mm-hmm. kind of think well like who's gonna you know help people in emergencies and stuff and this is why there are no cops under communism and socialism is because cops means a specific thing Yes. And so then anyone who's doing something cop-ish that we think of in the good sense is still not a cop because of that sort of, you know. That definition. Yeah. It's a, it's a little maybe abstract. 
Because, I mean, if you think about Cops Day, I mean, we've talked about this before, too, of, like, they are serving too many roles of, you know, like, hey, if someone's having a mental health crisis, maybe a gun is not the best thing to add to this scenario. <laughs> and yeah. certainly not a meathead with a gun. <laughs> yeah, definitely not the fucking C-string goon squad that they hired <laughs> who's going to just get on a horse with a fucking uh, just broken off piece of table. <laughs> Shoot his friend in the leg. Yeah, right. Um <laughs> So, you know, I think part of it is that is a redistribution of the kinds of responsibilities they currently have. So people dealing with mental health issues, people dealing with uh, poverty, honestly, is going to, you know, we've talked about that reducing, being reduced and thus most crimes being reduced. And yeah, more, a lot more focus on mental health, a lot more focus on, um, you know, if there is an emergency, though, like, I guess there, yeah, one, I think regular people would be more willing to step up, like we were kind of talking about. Because we're going to be less atomized and fucking scared of each other and <laughs> fucking scared of, like, the legality of helping somebody or, you For know sure. what I mean? There's, there's a lot of weirdness around that right now. So I think regular people will be more involved. But yeah, I think there could still be a role for someone who's like, yeah, I'm the fucking town do-gooder. <laughs> you know, we have a folk hero. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's an entire... Um background in and D&D? 5e yeah right it's like they they get the cats out of the trees they help the little <laughs> ladies cross the streets <laughs> they're so nice they're just nice guys that's what we want we want a department of nice guys mm-hmm. but like not the entitled ones <laughs> oh no not nice. we gotta come guys. up with a good name department of right. citizenry or something you know it's just yeah. Boy Scouts. Let's just have Boy Scouts out there. Comrades. <laughs> yeah. Like. The young pioneers are just like helping people. Oh, hell yeah, dude. This running is totally errands. a job for young pioneers. <laughs> totally. Of like, oh, like help me unload these groceries or whatever it is. That way we get old people socialized and stuff. That's hard. They struggle with loneliness. Yeah. It's great. I think we, we solved, solved it. Yeah. We solved crime. <laughs> The answer, of course, as always, is communism. Have you tried communism complete with adorable pins and kerchiefs? Have you heard the good news at the labor church of communism? Yes, that's my kind of church. (laughs) Uh, I'm here for all those little embroidered badges, for sure. Speaking of nice guys, Mm. in the bad sense, we're not, I guess, the same, (laughs) for the same reasons, (laughs) but still, the Citizens Committee, I think they're such a kind of hilarious obviously evil but still kind of a hilariously like cartoonishly these guys were literally in top hats you know yeah yeah like it's rare we get a mustache stroking villain we got one this time (laughs) well okay so aj andrews didn't have a mustache but he does look like he owns like three yachts you want to see him yeah he's like a dandy boy let's see this dandy Oh, yeah. That middle part. (laughs) He definitely says papa. Yes, he does. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is a fancy boy. Yeah. So You just have like, he's he's in a cigar filled, you know, cigar smoke filled (laughs) room. It's just so scheming. And they're like, they're anonymous and they're like all ultra rich. Like, that's the thing. They know they're bad. Like, they, they have to know because they're anonymous, right? Nobody, like, is that... I mean, I don't know. There's Vanguard parties who are anonymous and do cool shit. But, uh, I mean, they're scared, I guess, is the point. That's, yeah. So I would say I don't think that they think they're evil. I think they think they're good and they're they're probably... They were probably afraid of what their world had come to. That so many people had allowed themselves, you know, their brains to be addled by the gospel of 
communism by the godless, you know, Bolshevik creed. <laughs> Immigrants, apparently. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, and, and yeah, they were racist about it. But I think that their perspective on it was still saw themselves as the good guys upholding the traditional values, protecting Canada against foreign influences that were only going to lead despite maybe the best of them would have thought, but still the good intentions of the misguided masses. It was actually going to lead to the great bloodletting that, you know, they were hearing about in the Soviet Union. Now, okay, who's doing the bloodletting? It was the white counter-revolutionaries and everything. Yeah, the old czarist hangers-on and everything else. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, from their perspective, it was just, you know, the red menace and everything that was doing this. So that's... I. I do always want to see people as seeing themselves as the good guys. It's just that these guys sucked. <laughs> it is a matter of perspective, I think, because, I don't know, I'm obviously thinking about what counts as terrorism these days. Mm-hmm. And I would say running <laughs> a horse down the street to run people over and shoot at them, that seems like terrorism. Well, it depends. I mean, are you doing so to, uh, who are you doing that on behalf of? You know, that's the thing. I mean, to me, that's like you are terrorizing the general populace. That's bad. <laughs> but I don't know. I think people's definition of it gets real squishy and weird these days because uh, I've heard some bad takes, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Like someone can blow up a fucking hospital and that's not terrorism because a state did it. Because <laughs> the state did it because they had weird tunnels with a book or something. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's another, like the same thing as the definition of cop, like the definition of what counts as terrorism, I think changes depending on who's doing it and why they're doing it. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that reason is racist, but it should be who has the power is the question. Yeah. And I think, I don't, I don't think those are exclusive, right? So. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. The the race is, to the extent the race plays into it, it's, I think, uh, an expression of that power relationship. Mm-hmm. Citizens Committee of 1,000, I could have done without. For real. Could have used, I was going to say 1,000 less. I could have used, what, like 20 less of you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 30 less guys. Yeah, come on. They weren't good. I did like how cool the veterans were in this. Like, I wish we had more cool veterans like that. I love that. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I mean, they they are a very fucked over group of people. Like, they bought and sold this this bill of goods that is usually very shitty just from the terms of hey i saw a lot of fucked up shit i got physically injured mentally injured saw a lot of people get hurt to the financial instability that can often come afterwards like that's why there's so many like charities out there like benefiting veterans because they're not getting the help they need yeah there are so many of them without houses so many of them with all the cutbacks of uh you know federal and state mental health spending like cast out of institutions and stuff that were helping them initially, you know, and, and just put out on the street. And I do find it interesting that sort of a pattern I'm Johnny come lately to of figuring out is that soldiers and veterans in quite a few instances end up playing, you know, a revolutionary or at least an anti-imperial role. Yeah. Uh, in the course of events. So, I mean, if you think about the OG, the Bolshevik revolution, one of the big things was the extent to which the 
czarist army was just ridden with reds. You know, like absolutely. Like they started taking over that thing, electing their own officers, like basically just doing a fucking mutiny within the army, you know, and just saying like, we're, we're doing the damn thing because we've seen so much shit on the front. I mean, battleship Potemkin, same thing. Yeah, exactly. Like they are a powerful force. If you can move them away from the propaganda that got them to sign up in the first place. Right, if you get them disillusioned <laughs> enough, maybe. Yeah, but like then you have to like make sure you are, I guess, you know, capturing that energy because you know you you can very easily go the other way. Correct. If it goes the other way, you get the Fry Corps. Right? So in in Germany, I mean, they were completely disillusioned. They felt that you know the that they'd fought so hard and everything in World War One, only to lose. But then they were sold a brilliant counter narrative. You were stabbed in the back by the politicians in the pockets of the Jews. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they ended up going a completely different direction, which, you you know, that's that's what you've got to sort of guard against. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, so you have the Winnipeg example. You also have it's less revolutionary, but still anti-imperial is the the Vietnam War. The veterans, veterans against the war who were like, you know, getting rid of their medals and really kind of powerfully saying like, I was over there. These, this is the shit that I saw in Vietnam. Yeah. We're on the wrong side. You know, that was, I mean, huge. Yeah. Um, in terms of, in terms of getting people to question the, the establishment that had put them where it put them in that situation. Yeah. I think it's fascinating that we have such a robust war culture you know movies wise i'm talking you know so many stories have been written about war and how fucking heroic it is and all that shit and also there's a culture of you know thank you for your service every time you see someone mm-hmm. but the material conditions are such that they are still a very unsupported group and so i mean i think that's also a great example of what liberalism will get you is like good job you know have a special day on the calendar here's your fucking <laughs> pride flag and uh that's it <laughs> Yeah. We're not going to actually do anything to help you. Another example of that, especially talking about the material aspect of it, is the bonus army. After World War One, they were promised bonuses and stuff, but they were going to pay them later, like way later. But then the Great Depression happens and everyone's like, well, fuck, I want my bonus now. Like, I don't want to wait that many more years, you know, basically because Congress was hoping they would die off before they got their bonus. Uh, and so they march on Washington and everything. And Hoover famously, you know, just... Sends out the fucking tanks and the army to crush them and stuff. But that was another veterans, you know, standing up at the, and demanding things. Uh, another example, one of the reasons that the red summer happens the way it does and everything is that returning black soldiers that had fought in world war one, uh, they were, you know, they were trained with guns and everything. You mm-hmm. know? And then they come back and it's like, yeah, now you're a second class citizens. Like, I'm sorry, me and my rifle say no. Yeah. (laughs) That's a powerful, potentially revolutionary force. Maybe it's just that. It's just like people trained to, you know, fight for, you know, and and you're in that survival situation. You end up coming to see like what you're willing to do to survive. And the stakes, I don't know, you, you, you end up probably coming back into civilian life and saying like, yeah, okay, things are tamer here. Like I'm not literally going to die, but these are still life and death stakes. Mm -hmm. Just stretched out. Yeah. It's like people, I'm still seeing people around me dying unnecessarily of disease because we live in the, you know, the bad part of town. Like Mm -hmm. I 
I should be able to fight against that. Like I've been trained to fight against that. So do something about it. You know, men of action or people of action, you know? I, yeah, I think war is just something that could change you so drastically that it makes sense. Yeah, like you're saying, like you have seen life or death situations. So maybe you're more easily able to recognize it in everyday situations, you know? I think it was Malcolm X who said, you know, I consider myself, I consider myself to have died a long time ago. Uh, that, you know, I've, I've been dead for a while and basically the true revolutionary is already dead. Yep. You know, keep death ever in mind is, and, and maybe that's why there's this increased revolutionary potential in people who have seen combat is you've, you've really been there. close, <laughs> contemplated your own death. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You have considered it. You have faced it. So you're ready to face it again. Oof. Now, the rest of us softies. Mm, yeah, we got to get that. with it. <laughs> <laughs> I really got to confront death sometime. <laughs> Just go bungee jumping or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know the solution to that. But uh, maybe I should just learn how to shoot a gun. I don't know. It's probably cool, but it's probably wise also. But I am more open to it than I have been in the past. Listeners know I have been very squeamish about guns in the past. But my, my husband and I were talking about it the other day. And I was like, yeah, I, I would go to a shooting range. Like, I, I would try it, you know? Would, that's a big move for me. So It is. You're a weenie. I You're know. in the weenie caucus. Yeah, I am. In the firmly in the weenie caucus in the one big union modern day yeah i'm, I'm in the weenie brigade <laughs> we're in the very back of the parade we're just fucking dorks at Ugh. least you're not in, what is it weenie hut jr weenie hut jr yeah. <laughs> yeah the weenie caucus is the same thing as as the theater troupe i'm just kidding theater kids don't come at me i love you and i'm jealous of you for having that experience um no i mean <laughs> Yeah, I, I I try to think about that. Like, maybe I should take, like, a first aid class or something so I can, like, patch somebody up. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think it's crazy? Like, do you think that there's something I wonder about how often in the past in, like, the 50s or just, like, regular times when you weren't, like, society wasn't seeming to break down around you, people nevertheless thought that it was and, like, Oh, you better get trained in stuff so that when everything pops off, you're ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it, to us, it makes sense because it seems like we're in late stage Roman Empire. Everything's collapsing. But maybe that's bias. You know, how often did people think that in the past where it wasn't happening? Yeah. I was listening to this story about this woman who studies like civil wars. And she's like, that's like the number one thing I hear in interviews is we did not see it coming. Like every single person was like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Sounds like we're not going to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> Better take that class now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll watch everybody's kids. I'm pretty good with kids. So if y'all want to go out and do the fighting, I will watch your child. <laughs> I can do that. Uh, yeah. I'll watch your animals. Um, there we go. You know, I don't know. I would like to go do something actually, but then maybe Abby would be like, don't go do something. Yeah. So. It's physically dangerous. Ugh, we gotta stop being such weenies. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Winnipeg General Strike, it was cool. Not weenies. The people involved were you know, on the good side. We're dope as hell. The people involved on the bad side, fuck them. Uh, yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> good summary. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was a, a nice little tale. Good morning to everybody except the Citizens Council of the Thousand. <laughs> Exactly. Fuck those guys. Oh my God. I wish they had like had the guts to list their names so we could just go pick off the 25 fuckheads who are ruining everything. Yeah. No, they didn't. 
and specifically, uh, so, you know, they were doing all these parades and stuff. Uh, one of the times they did a parade was through the rich neighborhood. Oh, hell yeah. And just like, I don't know, I imagine them flipping off you know, <laughs> every house they went to or something. For real, for real. Like, I, I mean, okay, the the group of a thousand, if people had known, or I mean, they, they kind of knew, right? They knew that like that one guy was involved, right? They had to have. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, he, look at him. <laughs> fucking. That guy's definitely in it. Yeah, yeah, Richie Rich over. I mean, he's got the Richie Rich haircut. Do you think they discussed it like in their camp? Is like, do you do you guys think that Andrews? <laughs> you know, AJ Andrews. You think that guy's no, no way. No, like, no. Look, he's a man of the people. No, like, okay, but like, you go to the rich neighborhoods and just start knocking on doors, like, hey, uh, you ever heard of this? <laughs> <laughs> or you send like one, you know, like cleaning service, like that's the labor approved cleaning service. They go around, clean all the rich people's houses over, you know, eavesdrop and find out who's in the club. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so you have like a like a scab kinda, but like for a scab you, slash like a spy. Scab. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And then they find out, okay, it's these fucks here. I have a map of their houses. I know where they all live. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's get them. That's how you do it. That's, that's we're gonna, we're going to radicalize Jeff Bezos's staff. <laughs> <laughs> the citizen committee did actually, in the other way, have spies. Mm, no, of course within, they didn't. Yeah, there's this guy Frank Zaneth, who was like basically a spy against the workers in general. Uh, he had done this before in a previous strike. Wow. Even. Okay, he's got a resume. He had a yeah. He had an alias named Harry Blask. So, yeah, he, he just, like, got in and was like, oh, come on, let's, like, overthrow the government and stuff like this. <laughs> he was just, like, a classic provocateur sort of guy. Yeah, what a shithead. But he ended up, in one of these guys' trials, like, had to testify, so he got his Harry Blask cover. Oh, <laughs> blown. shit. They put him on like, oh, yeah, Blask. <laughs> yeah, Blask. <laughs> yeah. So wow. He was, like, in the Montes or whatever, you know. Damn, okay. So no one's inviting him to any parties ever. Yeah, shithead. Fuck that guy. That's kind of the conclusion. I don't know. We've rambled on for a little while. But I liked how um, animated, how militant the Canadians got. Us Americans have a stereotype, you know, that you guys are just peaceful, but... I was pretty fucking sick, Canada. Do it again. (laughs) Yeah, become once again the... uh, you know, cradle of Bolshevism in the Americas. I mean, shit, we were playing that game too for a minute there. So let's bring back another red summer. Let's do a red winter. Yeah. Stay warm in our hearts. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Next week, shooting that shit. Shooting that shit. <laughs> Listeners, we checked their Google Doc to do scheduling, and there was like a series of characters. Clearly a cat just keyboard smashed our schedule. It's very funny. I I took a screenshot, so I will try to post that at some point. <laughs> yeah, that would be Bo OT's. We'll give the cat tax in the social. Ugh. But yeah, she completely, the disrespect that you should have in your heart for the Citizens Committee of 1000, she has in her heart for keyboards <laughs> and phone screens of all sorts. I love it. She's a Luddite. Yeah. No, hell yeah. Good for her. All right, cool. Talk to y'all later. Adios, and remember, one big union makes us strong. All right. Bye. Bye. 
Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.